You're listening to Scribe and Connect, a podcast diving into the world of being a medical scribe. If you're aspiring to be an MD, DO, PA, NP, or you're simply interested in healthcare, stay tuned because this podcast just might help you on your journey. Scribe and Connect is sponsored by Scribe Connect. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Sherry Wong. All of the hosts on this show, including myself, are seasoned medical scribes, and probably like you, we're also striving towards a career in healthcare. Today, we're joined by our other four wonderful hosts and creators of this podcast to hear about who they are and what role scribing has had in their current path to becoming healthcare providers. So please help me welcome Jordan, Philip, Guy, and Sandra. All right. So first, I want to say thank you for coming on today to talk about your journeys. Um, I want to open the floor up to all of you. So if you feel like you connect to each other in one way or another, or, you know, you have something to say, you're welcome to jump in anytime. But as a starting point, we can talk about where you scribe a little bit of your background and your ultimate goal in healthcare. Yeah, sure. So I can jump in and go first. Um, so hi, I'm, I'm Jordan, uh, and I'm 29. So I scribe in an emergency department in West L.A., the kind of environment is um, it's in it's actually in Santa Monica. It's a relatively affluent neighborhood, so the kind of patients that we tend to get are you know they're pretty familiar with healthcare and interacting with it. They're very comfortable with asking questions and asking for what they want. Sometimes it helps because it means that it's easier to communicate information to them, but sometimes it hurts because it means that those kind of patients might fight with the doctors sometimes for what they want. I'm from LA originally myself. I grew up here, born and raised. I went to school outside of LA in the Bay Area, but uh, came back here for graduate school. Mm -hmm. That also kind of ties into your other questions about um, my goals in healthcare and how Scribing's helped me get there. So me, I'm I'm a pre-med student. I actually have already gotten into medical school, so I'm really excited to be starting that this fall. Yay, congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my path has been you know, Mm non-traditional. When I was in undergrad, I was a little bit more focused on my social life. I think everyone (laughs) can maybe appreciate that and understand or Mm -hmm. rather empathize with that. Right. But anyways, because of that, uh, you know, while though I was pre-med at that time, I ended up deciding that I wasn't quite ready for it. Uh, Chose instead to work in whatever industry I could get a job in, frankly. Ended up working technical support for a while. Then I later went into a sales job. so it was not what you would expect for your career path to go into to pre-med, uh, but eventually I realized how much how important it was for me to have a lot of pride in the work I was doing and providing for other people, and that sort of kick-started the decision to start grad school, move back to LA, and figure out how I can make my way into med school, and along that path is how I found scribing. And really that's how it's gotten me there. Scribing has not only been my livelihood, but it's been the best... Uh, and most immersive lesson for what it's going to be like to, you know, interacting with patients and providing for people and help me to become a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And wow, I mean, you were in a completely different industry. You were in sales and then you thought, wait a second, 
I'm not happy doing this. I want to be a doctor. I want to pursue medicine. And I think you making that decision just goes to show that your reasons were something internal. It was something genuine. And I mean, even though you are an older medical candidate, that just only means you have more life experiences, which is a huge plus. Yeah, I'm going to be 30 this year starting medical school. Mm-hmm. And I think the average medical student is somewhere between like 23 and 25. Yeah. Uh, so there's definitely a difference in experience. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm not going to be uh, able to handle like all-nighters <laughs> as often <laughs> as, as some of my peers would. Uh, talking about non-traditional, my name's Philip. I am Filipino, 27 years old. After high school, I went to, I pursued pre-med in the Philippines. But things didn't really pan out the way I planned. Mm. After one year, I changed to pursuing nursing. After two years, that also didn't work out. (laughs) So I came back to the U.S., started from scratch. That's where I learned about uh, the physician assistant profession. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, that might be perfect for me. Mm -hmm. So after four years of getting my bachelor's, I came upon this job as a scribe. And for the past two years, that's what I've been doing. As for college, I pursued a bachelor's in exercise science with a minor in biology. After I graduated, I became a Cope Health Scholar, volunteering in many departments in the hospital. When I came upon uh, the emergency department, I was introduced to what a scribe actually was. And someone insisted, hey, Phil, why don't you apply? Maybe things will work out. And I did. That's how I got my job. Nice. Wow. And that's awesome that you have this international experience um, going to the Philippines. That's really cool. Um, And I also think it's important to show that, you know, you had to find your path. Like you were pre-med, you were pre-nursing, and now you're pre-PA. And I'm so glad to hear that you've found your path and you're on it right now. I can relate to Philip's experience of being international as well. My name is Guy, and I'm also an emergency room scribe that works out of East Los Angeles. But in terms of international experience, I do relate to Philip in a sense that I've uh, spent a lot of time in other countries, except my story is a little different in that I was born in Israel and lived there until I was six Hmm. um, before I immigrated to the United States. Mm -hmm. So for me, this made getting into healthcare unique because um, I went from a universal healthcare system to a privatized healthcare system which meant that my family and I had to learn and understand the new laws and practices that are applicable here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That being said, we definitely benefited from physicians who practice cultural competence, and it motivated me to practice using similar techniques and particularly to support diverse um, communities. Yeah. And with that notion in mind, I I actually guided myself in choosing choosing to scribe in communities such as East Los Angeles and South Central because of the communities served in that, in that area are very diverse and sometimes disadvantaged. This allowed me to um, spend my time scribing to learn from physicians and identify social determinants of health and also the ways that the physicians um, circumvented um, those determinants of health. Pretty much what I'm trying to get across is that being an immigrant motivated me to support disadvantaged communities and I learned about how to do so and also did support disadvantaged communities by being a scribe in areas such as South Central and East Los Angeles. Yeah, that's awesome. 
And I think you're a great example of how your individual background shapes your aspirations of how you want to make an impact in healthcare in the future. And, um, you know, I'm an immigrant as well. And from what I've seen, I feel like there's this radically different way in which Asian immigrants approach medicine and illnesses um, than in Western culture. And so, you know, there's misinformation that can occur, which is honestly quite concerning. And so, like you, I, I also hope to address that and reduce it in the future. So, um, touching on what Guy said, um, he, he did talk a lot about the community he mm-hmm. wishes to focus on when he becomes a medical provider. I, too, hope to uh, go ahead and go into that route, but as a physician assistant. My name is Sandra. I'm 25 years old, and I actually pursued um, a bachelor's degree in biology. I was going to minor in um, computer science. Um, but towards the last years of my graduate degree or undergraduate degree, I decided I wanted to be a physician assistant. And um, I was really open to that, um, to making that choice because I actually was a Copout scholar in East LA. So as a Copout scholar, I was able to uh, see the different departments, be able to be exposed to the different types of um, um, fields of medicine and also the different types of medical professionals. And when I went into the ED uh, or emergency department, that's where I saw a physician assistant. I asked him a little bit more questions. And I also saw a scribe there and I was introduced to scribing. So I decided to scribe and um, volunteer in that same community as well. So um, I think it really benefited me a lot because I've always loved giving back to the community and I was actually giving back to the community that I'm from because I'm from East LA. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Um, thank you all for sharing your stories. It's, it's awesome that we can see how all of you connect in one way or another. And what's really important that our listeners get from this is that there truly is no one path to get to where you want to go. And when you apply to graduate programs, admission officers want your stories because they ultimately add to the diversity of their class. Now, I mentioned this earlier with Guy's story, this idea that your different backgrounds have helped you to develop different perspectives of healthcare, and scribing definitely helps to enhance that. Um... I think listeners would also be interested in learning about what you can see as a scribe. So I want to again open up the floor and ask you all about an interesting story, whether it was funny, touching, or just a meaningful experience you had while scribing. Um, well, I have a funny story that I I always like to tell about emergency room stories, and it's about an abscess, which in layman's term is just a really big pimple that people come into the emergency room in order to have cut and drained. So uh, on one particular day, someone came in with an abscess right beneath their jaw. And it was one of the biggest abscesses I've ever seen. It was around the size of a tennis ball. And so the, the patient sits down, you know, he's barely able to talk or move his mouth. And I'm absolutely stunned by the size of this thing. And the physician who 
is pretty jaded as it is, comes in and he's even a little blown away. But eventually we numb the, he numbs the area and he cuts it. And there's so much pressure there that the pus inside of it just starts shooting out like vertically up. And it gets all over the physician's scrubs and it covers up a lot of, um, of the tissues that he was using to clean it up. And uh, the most interesting part about it for me was afterwards, the physician asked the patient if he wanted to see how much pus came out of his abscess. And so he brought over the tissues to the patient. The patient looks over at it and I have no idea why, but he sticks his finger into the pus, <gasps> scoops some out, no. puts it up to his nose. And I thought he was going to no. taste it. I was going to like, I was about to puke, guys. Um, he puts it up to his nose, smells it. And at that point I was losing it, but thankfully he didn't eat it. Um, yeah, thankfully he did not eat it. Um, wow. If you can look at our faces right now, our jaws are dropped. Even for a fellow scribe, that's quite a story. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Um, so who wants to follow that? <laughs> okay, I have a, I guess, a funny story. Great, let's um, hear it. So um, I was actually, it was, this was around flu season. So I was scribing for a PA. Um, we go in and we're getting ready for a lac repair. I've, I had already seen a lot of lac repairs, so I was used to the fact that there was blood, there's opening, there's stitching. Um, and I'm standing there and uh, all of a sudden I start feeling like wheezy and I, I don't know why my stomach starts like turning and I'm just standing there looking at the physician do her stuff and I'm already familiar with that procedure and stuff. But um, all of a sudden I get the, the need to like step out and run out. And this is while she's like in the middle of the procedure. And I don't know, I kind of find it rude to just go out while she's doing that because the door is closed. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up just leaving. So I left my computer there. I ran to the restroom and then I finished my shift and she had already finished the procedure. So before I left my shift, I told her like, well, a little bit before that, I had to ask her for a Zofran. Um, but this whole time she thought that I was like that because she opened that person up but I got home and I don't know I, I had I got the stomach flu oh yeah I had been in the ED so much that all these patients because there was a lot of like stomach flu and just the common flu common mm -hmm. cold the, right. the, the general flu yeah and I ended up getting the stomach flu I think after like two weeks of working there um because I was working like back to back so this whole time the PA thought like, oh, like, is she okay? Like, I, I guess she's never <laughs> seen a, a suture repair, uh -huh. but I had to run out. I was really yeah. sweaty and it was weird to me too. Cause I thought like, I don't know why I need to, I need to go to the restroom. <laughs> so yeah, I had to like, I, I got home mm. um, and I ended up having like three episodes of vomiting. Oh, it was no. horrible. And I drove like that too. It was, um, it was really bad. It took me like an hour to get home. I was feeling very nauseated, very weak. And that was the first time actually that I've had like that type of flu. But it was embarrassing too, because the, the provider um, the, on my next shift, she asked me like, hey, are you okay? Like stepping into these procedures with me? Like you don't have to scribe for me. So I had to be <laughs> open with her and I told her like, like, you know, like, I don't know, I got sick. Yeah. You're like, I promise I can handle it. Oh, that's funny. Um, 
I mean, I think that goes to show that, you know, even though as scribes, we get to see everything that Oso means or like in the trenches of it all. So that's yeah, funny. also, and I think it also shows that people never expect their healthcare providers to also be capable of getting sick. Mm, true. Yeah. Everyone's sure. surprised. So my story, I have one as well. It's a little bit less of a feel good story, but uh, more of a one of those moments when you appreciate your emergency workers and their attention to detail and, and the things that can come up surprisingly. So we get elderly patients all the time. Uh, and elderly patients' favorite thing to complain about is low back pain. You know, they come in for a fever. They come in for a flu. They come in for any, who knows what. And whenever the doctor asks, is anything else going on? They invariably say, yeah, well, my back also hurts. Which isn't something we can, you know, really do anything about. So it tends to be the thing that gets pushed to the sideline. Well, one day we have a gentleman come in who's, I, I think he was in his early 90s. And he, I mean, to be kind about it, he looked like it. Uh, and he mentioned his back pain, but wasn't there for it. I think he was having some issues of nausea. And, you know, he had come in uh, on a gurney, went, got straight to his transfer. And we have a whole conversation. And, and just because of, how fast paced it is, uh, the doctor didn't had to delay his exam by maybe five or 10 minutes to go and check on some lab results. When uh, finally we go back to finish the exam, the patient mentions that he's also had some problems with bruising. And when we ask more information, find out that it's a lot of significant bruising on his low back and in his back area, which immediately concerns the doctor. And after we actually bothered to do a CT scan, which is just a Basically, for anyone who's not familiar, it's just a form of taking a look at what's going on in your belly. Um, it's better for looking at things like tissue, like your organs, as opposed to your bones. They discovered that he had had uh, one of the most serious kinds of aneurysms, which is called a AAA, where it's an abdominal aortic aneurysm, which had burst. It's a huge, huge blood vessel in your back, burst and was causing all that bruising. So this back pain that we had initially for the first maybe 20, 30 minutes, I thought like was probably garden variety, nothing special or interesting was actually, in fact, one of the most dangerous possible things to happen to somebody can kill you very quickly. And thankfully, because that doctor was thorough enough to make sure that they investigated everything, asked all the questions, and looked at this person's back instead of just dismissing them, was able to save their life. That's incredible that this patient came in with, like, mild back pain, and then it ends up being a triple A, like... That's pretty... Right. The patient didn't even complain about it like it was super painful. He made it seem like it was just, you know, the standard kind of back pain, mm -hmm. but it ended up being, yeah, a huge deal. And one of those good stories where you walk away feeling like you did something good. Yeah, absolutely. And from my experience, I feel like um, elderly patients tend to underreport what's going on. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that that doctor looked into it more. Yeah, it goes to show that it's important for everyone in pre-health. Don't take anything for granted. Yeah, exactly. Um, Philip, do you have a story you want to tell? Yeah, a very similar story to Sandra, actually. I wasn't even a scrub yet. I was a clinical care extender in the emergency department. Um, one of the nurses just told, uh, asked me if I wanted to see a procedure because a patient was beaten with a bat, he got struck to the back of the head and to the jaw. And I was like, wow, that sounds very intense. I want to watch. Um, so I was in the room and I could just see the patient just sitting there. He was, he was just sitting there. He wasn't showing any signs of pain, no signs of like tearing up or crying. It just hurt 
and he was just not in the moment, I guess. But I see this patient, blood flowing from his chin, from the back of his head. The blood was like, it was crimson red. It was glistening. It was, it was very intense. And I just realized I've been sheltered my entire life because I've never seen that much blood before. So this was a learning, a very much learning experience for me because uh, as I was standing there, I started to feel like I was about to faint. You know, like the classic symptoms, uh, palms sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. Yes, that's Eminem. Um, and I just knew I had to step away. I went to the restroom, sat on the toilet, didn't even tell anyone. And I was giving myself a pep talk. Philip, how do you, you need to get over this. This, you're going to healthcare. This is gonna be your future. You have to do something. So as I gave myself a minute to breathe, I went back in. The nurse had to step out. So he asked me to uh, apply pressure um, on the patients uh, to the back of his head uh, use, using a gauze, of course. Um, and I was just standing there trying to make small talk for like maybe two minutes, which was way too long. The sim like, I felt like I was gonna faint again. So as soon as the nurse came, I ran away. I, I ran back to the restroom and gave myself another five minute pep talk. Uh, afterwards, of course, I talked to the nurse. I told him everything. And he said, first things first, if you're about to faint, don't go to the restroom because no one knows you're there. And if you were able, if you were to pass out, no one would know. He also gave me tips and said that maybe I didn't have enough sugar in my system. That may be an issue. So yeah, very much a learning experience. Not one that I'm very proud of, but it's one that I've overcome as a scribe. Because, you know, now that you know your weaknesses, you could only put yourself in the battlefield just to overcome it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a thing for people to be like, if you want to go into medicine, make sure you can handle blood. Um, and I mean, that's really true. Uh, but in your case, like you had a harder time handling it in the beginning, but you've trained yourself to be able to do so. So that's awesome in its own way. Well, I think that was a great intro to who you all are and your stories. Um, thank you all for coming on today. Again, it means so much. Thank you so much, Sherry, for having me. It was a pleasure being here, being able to speak about um, the field of primary care and the community that I come from and how even though we um, come from a, a disadvantaged community, it's always possible to give back especially in medicine. I also really appreciate being on the show today. I really enjoyed hearing stories, learning from, learning about your backgrounds. Uh, I look forward to listening to the podcast in the weeks to come. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for having me too. It's, it's, it's been awesome. I, I look forward to participating in the cast in the future as a host. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, it's really great to hear about the backgrounds of my colleagues and I hope you guys can relate and hopefully my story helped you as well. 
Well, that is all for this episode of Scribe and Connect. I hope you've gained more knowledge about the work of a scribe. If you are interested in becoming a scribe, then subscribe. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. To this podcast, as we will be back with a new guest on our next episode to give you yet another look into the world of scribing. You can also find us on Instagram at scribe underscore connect. Again, we are Scribe and Connect, where you can connect anytime with medical scribes. Mm-hmm.